You're listening to Positivity Strategist. Welcome to our third season, where I'll be focusing on leaders and leading in an appreciative and positive way across a range of industries and professions. What does it mean? How do they do it? What results do they achieve for their people, their organizations, and their own careers? How do they inspire? I'm your host, Robin Stratton Burkessel. And in this show, my guest is a global nomad and a lawyer by profession. And we're going to find out how she lives as a global nomad and why she entered law and most significantly, what she's been doing for the last 20 years to change the legal system. So I'm really excited to speak with J. Kim Wright because she's a wonderful example of someone who is appreciatively leading in her profession. Her two books were immediate bestsellers, Lawyers as Peacemakers, which was published in 2010, and then in 2017, another book came out called Lawyers as Changemakers. So Kim Wright, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Robin. It's great to be here. Yeah. So I'm really curious, why did you go into law and then decide you wanted to shake it all up? Well, I actually didn't think I was going to law school to be a lawyer. I had a very complicated family situation, and we were often bumping up against the legal system with uh, child custody or in the case of one of uh, one of my stepchildren, she was a chronic runaway. And we had a lot of uh, issues uh, with that. And then I was married to a man who liked to be arrested for civil disobedience. Mm. And we decided that it was just so much easier to have a lawyer in the family. <laughs> and I had no idea what that entailed. I really, I, I didn't know lawyers. I, I knew that lawyers had magic words. And if you went to a lawyer, you could uh, you could get magic done. You know, like um, there was once I went to a lawyer, he made one phone call and found out the information I'd been looking for for weeks and making hundreds of phone calls about. But he had those magic words. Mm. And so I decided that I wanted the magic words, too. And there was a law school about um, an hour away. I didn't know it was hard to get into law school. I didn't know that law school was hard. (laughs) I, I, I didn't know any of that. And I just went to law school. And uh, when I got there, I discovered that a lot of my colleagues were, um, I'll use a nice word, were jerks um, rather than a curse word. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I'm one of those, I'm an overachiever, but in, in a kind of different way than, like, the, I, I always make good grades and all that kind of stuff, but I just really have a passion for life and for contributing. Mm. And when I was in, when I was in law school, there was this uh, lawyer who came to me and said I was doing too much. I had seven children at home. I was working uh, in our family business, and I uh, was volunteering as a guardian ad litem. And I had started two organizations at the law school. Mm. That was just me being me. Mm. That wasn't me being in competition. But he and others apparently perceived that as I was competing with them, and they decided to put the brakes on. And uh, they, they were going to turn me over to the tax authorities for tax evasion or something because uh, they said my business was a cash business and I was clearly not 
doing what I was supposed to do. Well, luckily, I actually had consulted a tax attorney when I went to law school to make sure <laughs> that I was doing that. But I just thought it was so mean spirited mm. and that I didn't want to be a jerk. Mm. And so I decided I would never practice law. And uh, so I graduated in 1989. And in 1993, I was in a course called uh, Wisdom Unlimited. I was uh, in in, a, in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, which is not where I was living, but I traveled there for this course. And a man stood up and he introduced himself as Forrest Baird, a lawyer from Chicago. And he started talking about giving, granting dignity to everyone in the process. And he talked about how as a divorce lawyer, it was his job to make sure that his client and, and the so-called opposing party were friends when they got to the end of their divorce. So the more he talked, it was like the skies opened up and everything went from black and white to color. <laughs> and the birds sang and the butterflies <laughs> burst out. And it was like one of those cartoons that you see. And I knew that I could be that kind of lawyer. Wow, that was your moment. That was my moment. Mm. And so then I, then I actually opened a law practice and I discovered that indeed many of my colleagues were jerks. <laughs> but the, the key was I had the possibility yeah. that it could be different. Yeah. And so that uh, started my path towards creating a different legal profession that was more based on helping people and peacemaking, problem solving, healing conflict. So... Who else then did you find was saying, yes, lawyers can break with precedence and there is another way? Well, at first, nobody. Yeah. At first, I was really alone, other than, you know, Forrest. And Forrest uh, told me about Stuart Webb, who was doing collaborative law, uh, which was a uh, very new model at that time that was used in divorce, that was basically what Forrest had described. But in my local community, there was no one. And so in 1999, I had created a very holistic law practice. I was really proud of myself. I thought I was the most cutting edge lawyer in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, I went to the International Alliance of Holistic Lawyers expecting to be, you know, like walk in like, you know, I owned the place. And uh, so I walked in expecting, to, you know, to show them. And I was just blown away by what they were doing. Mm -hmm. I, I was actually shocked to the point of being taken aback and and afraid, really, uh, that I mean, there were people, and this is in 1999, there were people who were doing yoga in their law practices. And there, there were uh, people who were doing all sorts of really sort of out there things with restorative justice and Stu Webb was there and collaborative law. And then there was this whole movement towards meditation. And I mean, there, there were just a lot of different things that were new to me and were, were shocking to somebody who was in a practicing law in a small town in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. yet there was something about it that was so attractive that I couldn't, I couldn't just run away. I, I wanted to learn more mm. And uh, one of the one of the speakers was a woman um, called uh, Susan Dykoff, who was talking about the well-being of lawyers um, as a crisis because lawyers in general 
uh, have much higher rates of addiction and suicide and all kinds of dysfunctional things like addictions. Um, and and yet the people who were practicing in these new holistic ways were much healthier. Mm-hmm. And um, and I and I really took on then that my mission was going to be to learn about this and then to actually uh, bring this message to the mainstream, not just the fringe lawyers, which they were all arguably really on the fringe, mm-hmm. uh, but that these ideas could actually transform the practice of law. So, Kim, is that how you got interested in organizational development approaches? Um, because I know that you have, you know, you've studied a lot and you've done a lot of development in a range of really innovative out there, different kinds of methodologies for transformational change. So was that the impetus for you? Uh, I, I think that came maybe just a little later, uh-huh. but yes, I, I'd, I'd been doing a lot of work with Landmark Education and we were looking at personal transformation and relationship transformation. And then there was this conversation about community transformation. Mm-hmm. And at that point, Landmark wasn't answering that question about how to do that in a way that really gave me tools. So I started looking for tools. Mm-hmm. And so I found Appreciative Inquiry and um, eventually Theory U and um, the Burkana um, Two Loops model and, um, I mean, a whole lot of other things. Spiral Dynamics. Spiral Dynamics, yes. I'm, uh, that, that's my latest uh, deep dives into Spiral Dynamics. So, Kim, with all this going on for you and these discoveries and finding these people who are doing this different work um, in their legal profession, um, I know that you then went on and you did a whole lot of different um, studies and you've already, we've already talked about the different OD practices that you brought into it um, and you really focus on integrative law and I would love for you to talk to us a little bit about what that means. Uh, I did read a fantastic article that you wrote for the Enlivening Edge website where you explained it extremely well, um, and that got me very excited. So perhaps you could um, just talk to us a little bit about what that is, integrative law, and how – so it's not only what it is, but um, then maybe how you are practicing this or um, teaching this or what you're doing with it. Well, at first, whether something was integrative or not was sort of a, a judgment call of it felt integrative – <laughs> and in, um, in the spiral d- dynamics world, there actually is a level uh, where we look at, um, you know, the consciousness is more integrative. And I think that that helps me uh, to explain it to myself. But what was happening was I, as I was sort of collecting lawyers from all over the world, they would find me or I would see an article or somebody would say, you really ought to talk to this person. I discovered that they had some things in common. Eventually we came up with four, I call them pillars that seem to be sort of an evolution that happens and it can start at any of the places. So the first thing is around this well-being issue is that uh, the legal profession is a very unhealthy profession. Mm -hmm. 
So there are many stories about this. And, you know, the New York Times has covered lawyer suicide and, and addiction and all that. You know, it's, it's, it's really well known. And so some lawyers start by saying that they're going to work on their own well-being. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they've developed a lot of things around uh, contemplative practices and about, you know, things like that. So looking and, after oneself, self-care. Self-care. Mm-hmm. Yes, self-care. And then one of the things that happens when people start doing that is that they start looking at their values and their purpose. Mm -hmm. And so values and purpose is another entry point, but it's also an evolution. So those values and purpose uh, become a lens for people who are actually looking at uh, the legal profession, like, you know, what is my purpose? What is the purpose of law? Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the questions I like to ask is, how can I be me and still be a lawyer? Right. And so, so that's, a, that's another one of the so-called pillars. And that actually often leads to um, sort of a, a shift in consciousness or an awareness of consciousness, although I usually consider awareness and consciousness sort of synonyms. Mm-hmm. You know, as they, as they look at it from a different consciousness, some people actually get into something like spiral dynamics or they look at um, you know, the uh, Barrett Value Center has a model that's based on values. So that's another good entry point. So there's this sense of seeing the world with a different perspective. And then the other pillar, and I could often interchange them in the order, but it's a systems approach, mm-hmm. a systems view of uh, really being able to see how, how one thing influences another and how, uh, how things um, are related and interconnected. Mm-hmm. And so when people have gone either through one of those deeply or through all of those stages, they get to the point where they consider leaving the law or they know that they have no choice but to change how they practice. Wow. Yeah. And so that that's where a lot of uh, the people in my community um, find me is because they've learned to practice in a different way and they're looking for colleagues. Right. That's so fascinating. In fact, I've found that too, that a lot of people who do in their professions do personal development, they often then begin to question, you know, that that self-analysis and that self-awareness can take them off in a totally different direction. Yeah. Yeah. And divorces happen and all kinds of things can happen when you (laughs) have a new perspective about who am I and what am I contributing to the world and why am I here? Right. Um, So interesting how you have all those shifts going on. So how does a lawyer go through this? Is it a training course? Is it coaching, um, seminars? You know, how do you deliver this? Most of them go through it on their own ah. and, then, and then find us. Uh, and then, but how do they know uh, where to start? <laughs> uh, I, I think that for, mo- for most lawyers, autonomy is one of the highest values. And we, we like to reinvent the wheel a lot. And so we start <laughs> we start in our own private place because there's a lot of stigma about personal growth in the law. Mm. We're, not, we're not supposed to uh, even care about our personal growth. We're, we're supposed to be automatons, machines that are looking to break out all of the emotion and, uh, and you know, just do the analytical thinking. They're, we're trained to think like lawyers. Mm-hmm. And everything that has to do, like if you're looking at it from a neurological perspective, the limbic system, 
relationships, emotions, all of those things are considered not relevant. Hmm. So there's this objective reality out there, you know, subjectivity and how we might construct and see the world through relationships and all of that doesn't factor in to the mindset. Not, not the cultural mindset. Cultural mindset, okay. And, and so then what happens is that lawyers actually begin to sort of secretly inquire into some of these things. Mm-hmm. And that's why they can come in through a lot of different paths. It really depends on, uh, on you know, what comes across their path first. And it's been one of the reasons that my, um, that my work, I think, has made the biggest difference is because there are all these people out there who think they're alone. Mm. And just as I did when with when a Forrest Baird gave me a new possibility and then I found the holistic lawyers that's like, oh, my gosh, I'm not alone. Yeah. Like there are other people who think like this. And that sense of belonging Mm. gives us courage. Wow. As we find each other, we get a little more outrageous with what we're doing. (laughs) Give me an example. So the example that just came to mind is my friend Rob DeRoy. I did a course in South Africa in 2012, uh, an introduction to integrative law. And, uh, and I think there were 30 or 40 people there. And I could almost name everyone in the group because I have, I have watched them develop over time. So Rob uh, had this idea that contracts didn't have to be wordy and difficult. And he was really concerned about uh, the domestic help in South Africa, which um, at that time I heard that the unemployment rate was something like 47%. It was just really outrageous. And so uh, all the people I knew in South Africa hired as many people as they could afford. So, you know, people would have the dignity of work Mm -hmm. and they were required to have a contract, but contracts are expensive and, Nobody understands them anyway, and so most people were just skipping that requirement. But Rob was concerned about having clear agreements and not exploiting people and and that sort of thing. And so he started playing with this idea of a comic contract. So a contract that was actually drawn. It actually resolved a lot of issues in that the comic contract was under more understandable and in South Africa there are 11 official languages so mm-hmm. uh, it was easier to translate uh, for people who had low literacy it was also easier and you know it was really easy for the employer mm-hmm. to complete so that they actually had a contract and there was an understanding and so Rob worked on that for a little while and was doing that in South Africa he won um, the international Association of Contract Management Professionals. Mm-hmm. He he won their uh, Innovation Award in 2017. Yeah, that's and, great. Uh, and then also in Australia, parallel. And, and one of the things I've noticed is that often these things emerge parallel to each other. Um, it's like in a vacuum. Yeah. And then, and then there they are. So parallel to that. that um, consciousness, you know, global consciousness happening. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Camilla Anderson, a professor at Western Australia, was also doing that kind of work. And um, so she hosted a conference in 2017 in uh, Perth on the comic book contract. 
And uh, one of her clients is um, an engineering firm with 7,000 employees who turned their co- uh, employment contract into a cartoon. Mm-hmm. And so, so that, you know, that, that went from idea to international movement and, uh, Five or six years. That's great. And I referred already to the Enlivening Edge website, and there is an example of this cartoon contract. You wrote about that too. I did. Yeah, so again, I'll put a link to that. And um, just let me remind people that they're listening to positivitystrategist.com slash PS110. So if you're listening and you want to see some of these examples, go to that particular URL and you'll be able to look at these things. So Kim, I know there is something also that you, you're part of and that's the Changemaker Cafes. The Legal Changemakers Cafes are an initiative that some of us started. There's an organization called Forest Web. And I won't go into the details about Forest Web because that actually is a longer story. Forest Web is named for Forest Baird, my inspiration, and Stu Webb, who created Collaborative Law. And so even though it sounds like it's a person, it's actually an organization of innovators and integrators. Mm-hmm. And Forest Web had this idea that we wanted to reach out and make make something really accessible to people where they could learn about this and where it was more self-managed and and um, you know spread over the world so that the ideas could get out faster and so we created uh, the legal changemaker cafe and um, I think it's a little over a year ago we piloted the first one in uh, London and then we've had them in several cities since and and we've started recently also doing them online so that we can reach people who are in other places where we haven't been yet. And so uh, one of the requirements is that you have to have attended a cafe and understand the process uh, before you can lead your own cafe. Uh-huh. And who comes? Almost all the people who come are lawyers. And there's a facilitated structure. Uh Patrick Andrews, one of my colleagues, is with the Human Organizing Project, and he had a lot to do with designing this format, which is very reflective. It gives lawyers the chance to engage in subjects, um, not just to be talking heads, but to actually engage. So we start, each segment has a reflective Mm -hmm. stop between each segment, but they start with a... um, after introductions with a six-minute talk by someone who is a member of the community who has something to share. Mm-hmm. And um, lawyers like to do things in six-minute increments because that's how how we're trained to bill. It's actually something that has kind of imprinted in our brains as well. There's a some great work about that that a few people have done about the uh, the brain and the six-minute increments. And so the person speaks for six minutes and then we break off into um, pairs or um, small groups. Mm-hmm. And um, I've just never been more surprised or pleased uh, about how it's turned out because I, I'm one of those people who kind of pushes against that kind of structure. And I would think it would be really great if we all just talked. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the Changemakers Cafes, people often pick up on just a, an aside in the conversation 
and then take it really in a deep direction and share it. And it's just really insightful and delightful to engage in these conversations. Mm -hmm. And everybody gets included. Everybody gets to talk. And so people go away feeling really heard Mm -hmm. and enriched. Yeah, that's lovely. In fact, I think, you know, you mentioned appreciative inquiry earlier and you, you know about that methodology and have used it as well, that I think that's the the value and the beauty and the magic of the discovery interview that happens with appreciative inquiry. And it's that opportunity to have a more intimate conversation with somebody, which is most of the time less threatening than if you kind of, for many people, unless maybe you're a trained lawyer, than speaking out in front of a big group. So I think there's something really special about those small intimate settings where people can talk together and then share ideas and the conversation gets larger as people begin to kind of cross-pollinate. Yes. Across the different pairs. So that's great. We know the success of that seems like... um, a sensible thing to do to actually engage and make meaning together well, <laughs> in small and, groups. And in many ways, that's part of what lawyers have um, been robbed of by um, our training, mm. is that there is a right answer, even though people argue about it. Mm. In, in, our, in, uh, in the way our lawyer brain works and the way we're trained is that it's black and it's white and it's right or wrong and we're looking for what's right rather than the richness of the storytelling mm-hmm. experience and the sharing. And so the more I participate in them, the more amazed I am at the brilliance of how we are repatterning lawyers' brains in a way that is much more meaningful and uh, happiness-inducing. Yes, and I'm just going back. I mean, if you're programmed to think and talk in six-minute increments, it really doesn't allow for that exp- expansive emergent discovery of how conversation can really take place. So I'm s- it's so lovely to hear you say that these are uh, working. It's only a year, so there's probably lots of opportunities for it to uh, catch on more and more. So, Kim, I want to come back to what I started with as well, and that is your uh, global nomad lifestyle. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds too good. <laughs> It actually is so amazing. I, in 2007, I was living in North Carolina. I had a law practice and a house and, you know, as some people have said, the whole catastrophe. <laughs> Several things happened in my life that gave me the opportunity to move and my office was moving because the building was going condo and there were there was a lot of, there was a lot of chaos and upheaval mm-hmm. in my life. And I decided that I would just travel for a few months. <laughs> I had been working on uh, creating um, my cutting edge law website. It's kind of hard to believe now, but back then video was really new to the internet because we'd had dial up for so long that uh, we we didn't have audio and video downloads that we can do like we can now. And that that's really only been not even 20 years ago that, mm. or not even, you know, maybe 10 years ago that that shift happened. I started videotaping some of the people I met at conferences. And uh, my purpose in that was to share those stories so that people didn't have to leave their offices and go and find people. 
And so I created a YouTube channel and I was starting to uh, create this website. And I thought, well, I'll just take a few months and I'll travel and I'll interview these innovators. And I had a list of 100 people who I thought were just, you know, amazing and that I would put together this um, body of work that I, um, I originally thought was going to be a documentary. And then I called it a documentary website. But yeah, we had one hour interviews for the most part. And I couldn't imagine like clipping two minutes out of them. They were all so rich and they were those, you know, the deep story of how people actually found themselves, you know, in a particular role and the difference they were making and, and so forth. So I thought I'll do that for about three months. That wasn't just lawyers, right? I, I started creating the videos of lawyers, law professors, people in the legal profession. Okay. So I started traveling around the U.S. thinking I was going to be gone for three months. And three months came and I really wasn't ready to go back. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to extend it by three more months. And then I extended to a year. <laughs> and then over, <laughs> over time, it just kept getting extended until it's now kind of a joke to think, you know, that I would settle down anywhere. It's been 11 years. Mm. In 2012, I started traveling internationally. My my first book came out in 2010. The book traveled immediately to Australia. Mm-hmm. And I was invited to Melbourne and um, and then to New South Wales um, in, a, in a town near Sydney. Then not very long after that, just weeks really, I was invited to South Africa. And then not long after that, um, I made my first European trip. Mm-hmm. And uh, and now I have a plan this year to be on um, on six continents. <laughs> and I've been I've been on five. Mm-hmm. And this will be my first um, trip to South uh, to South America. Wow, that's fantastic. And so this is mainly by invitation and you stay with people? It is mainly by invitation, mm-hmm. although yesterday I put out on Facebook, it's time for me to go to India again, um, looking for ideas, invitations, mm-hmm. and guidance. Mm-hmm. And by the time I woke up the next morning, I had all of that. Gosh, and I so, love that. Wow. I know when when you were talking about the con, you know the cartoon contracts, I was thinking India with all its gazillion languages. This would be such a good thing in India. Some friends of mine have sort of an art project. It's uh, another cartoon project. Uh, it's called Law Tunes. That is uh, <laughs> <laughs> Law Tunes uh, is uh, like a comic book explaining the law. Mm. So that's an, another one of those projects that mm. emerged at the same time that these others in um, South Africa and uh, Australia were emerging, mm. uh, the law tunes. And so so I, I've been to India. You would imagine that the country that gave us Gandhi would be a country that was interested in peacemaking yeah. and, um, and a more yeah. problem-solving approach. Uh, my, on my first trip, I did not find that to be as true as I expected, but part of that I think is the legal system is designed around the British legal system, mm-hmm. you know, very formal. I mean, you know, in some places in the world that are based on that imperial system, they're still wearing wigs in court. Mm-hmm. They're really embedded in um, a traditional model yes. and in greater need of having new possibilities introduced. Yeah. So, Kim, I wanted to speak to you and I invited you on the show because I thought 
that you are a wonderful example of somebody who is in this space of appreciative leading in your industry. And you've given us a number of examples um, throughout this conversation of how that's happening. Let me ask you, what might that term mean for you, appreciative leading? I think as I experience it for myself is that I'm looking for the what's possible. I'm looking for the strengths of the individual and also the profession, because we are, I think, natural change makers as a profession. Uh, It's just that our training has sort of had us forget that. I'm, I'm sort of on a discovery process in the world. And uh, as I open up new possibilities for people, then then they step into them and adjust and adapt in ways that I would never have imagined myself. So I think that's um, that's sort of what comes to mind. I love the the global aspect that you're you you're bringing to this. That it's just not confined to one geography. I wonder when you talked about wholeness at the beginning, like the holistic law practice, I think the term today, holistic and, and welcoming our own wholeness, has expanded and I think it connotes a very different kind of sensibility today that wasn't around 10 years ago. Um, I think you're right. I think that I've been um, really blessed by the transformation in the rest of the world happening at the time that I'm working on the transformation of my particular profession. Mm. Kim, I want to thank you so much for this conversation because you are certainly in my mind somebody who is leading from this appreciative perspective. So thank you, Kim, for being on the show today. Thanks, Robin. It's been fun. If you have questions or ideas that you'd like to hear discussed on upcoming episodes and possibly participate in our show, go to positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast where you can submit your ideas or leave me a voicemail. I will respond. And also, if you appreciate this show, I'd love you to share that by leaving a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Also, you can be notified of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and remember, what you focus on grows, so grow towards your best.